Maybe I'm just not close enough. Turn up these. I don't know what they do, but I'm doing it anyway. Hello, everyone. This is our last podcast. We quit. I'm in the mood to quit things. We are quitting this podcast. Done and done. Yeah. Hope you enjoyed it. Goodbye. Goodbye. See you never. No, that's not true. Okay, let's just keep recording. This is great. This is gold. (laughs) This is beer. Podcasting gold. Hey, everyone, this is Perhaps It's You. Today, we're not going to complain about the weather. No, because it's real nice out. It's a beautiful fall day. (laughs) Yeah, so enjoy that. For one second. My name is Liz. My name's Samantha. Did you know that this is an Unsolved Mysteries rewatch podcast and that it's super duper unofficial? Super The unofficial type not affiliated with unsolved mysteries in any way shape or form we never met robert stack that's a shame but we never did okay so we're here we're gonna be talking about season season three three, episode four of Uh unsolved mysteries if you're following along on amazon prime so far how do you think the season stacks up to season two i feel like we're off to a better start i thought season two ended up ending much better than it started but this is not my favorite episode i feel like it's a little forgettable yeah, this one wasn't the best. Your it's mystery like, eh. was okay. It's Yeah, it's something different. I guess I'm a little disappointed there's only three mysteries. Mm-hmm. I really, I demand four. Four is the perfect number. I demand number. four mysteries every episode. Because it just, when there's fewer than four, one of them ends up being too long. Yeah, your first one is woof. real long. And I apologized to you that it was so long and you were like, the murder? And I was like, I don't even know that thing that just goes on forever and nothing is solved and you know nothing in the end yeah very unsatisfying it's an existentialist play of a mystery mm-hmm. anyway do we have any updates i don't have any updates but we do have an unboxing to do oh, okay yes let's i'm gonna have a quick update and then we can okay let's do we it. can dive into that i wanted to mention this is something that came up while we were on hiatus and i had forgot to bring up since we have talked about cleansing with sage a couple times i wanted to address the fact that that's kind of cultural appropriation Mm -hmm. so i'm not gonna i'm not gonna i'm not claiming to be an expert on this but it might be something to look into if that's not part of your heritage and your family's spiritual practice maybe leave the white sage alone you can cleanse with incense or rosemary or lavender. You can also grow your own sage. Yeah. And dry it and use that. It's very easy. Yeah, just not white sage. That's like a specific indigenous spiritual practice. So maybe stay away from that. I just wanted to bring that up. It's not something that I knew about. But while we were on hiatus, there was a big Twitter controversy about Sephora was going to sell a starter witch kit. And uh, it included White Sage and all of the Twitter witches. Witch Twitter was very angry about it. So I read a lot about it at that time. And I'm not claiming I really know what I'm talking about. But something looking new. Yeah, and don't buy Sephora's ninety dollar witch kit or whatever they the hell it can, costs. They That's canceled it completely. Oh, they did. I yeah, didn't know that. I don't really keep up on what's going on in Sephora anymore. Uh, the I, I guess who, who wants witches mad at them? No one. Right. That so, sounds like a very bad idea to piss off the witches. Are you a part of witch Twitter? I don't think would you, so. Would you say? But I do follow some witches on Twitter, so I sort of fell into this. You know, sure. Uh, internet rabbit hole. It's of- probably better than weird Twitter. Of people saying, you know, this is not the greatest idea no. to have a bunch of white people who shop at the mall burning white sage. So, yeah, just thought I would just thought I'd update that. I Heard feel that like in the well. past I have been like, yeah, burn some sage. Like, what's the harm? Well, shows that shows my ignorance. Same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so news to news to everyone else that what might not have known that. So more fun more fun than me scolding you is uh we gotta do an unboxing should i just open this, this came up? to us all the way from australia who's it from i don't know oh it doesn't say on the box no we just know it came from australia you know it came from australia and someone paid a lot of money to ship this yeah, and we thank you i hope it says inside who it came from it oh it came from melinda 
Oh, okay. Hi, Melinda. Hi, Melinda. We love you already. We, we were just talking about how Australia Australia doesn't seem like a real place. It seems fraught with danger. Not <laughs> it does sure seem why anyone very lives there, dangerous. But so hardier people than us live there. We, we hope sure. you're okay in the land of spiders and everything poison. Look, we haven't been to Australia. We're revealing our ignorance once again. This, so this box, this I'll describe box it. is like it's, really well. It had a long journey. Melinda really packaged it well. Um, it's about a, it's a cube. It's I a think large I should have started the unboxing process before we started taping because this is like serious business. I'm trying to think of a size comparison to give you. I feel like this is this box could contain the smallest size crock pot that exists. <laughs> If that, gives you an, your mind works. if that gives you an idea of the size oh of this box. Oh my god. We are church uh, ladies. Okay. <laughs> someone on, was it on Twitter? Someone who described us as their unsolved mysteries aunts? I love it so much. That's like my goal in life right there. Really true. I just Last week we were telling you aunt. to check your smoke detectors and this month we're, this week we're talking about crock pots. Liz has resorted to this. just tearing the box open. This box open. Okay. Okay, we have Australian licorice. What is this? Dairy milk caramello koalas. What? I want a caramel koala. Do you want here? I'm gonna pass the caramello koalas over to Liz. Definitely. This is the cutest thing I ever saw. Thank you so much. Let's see some of these flavors. Thank you so much. Yeah, this is awesome. You were low on snacks, so these are yeah, awesome. Yeah, the snack supplies had dwindled, so it's amazing that you were willing to pay to send us these things. That's pretty incredible. Mm. These Sour Patch Kids are really good. So what is your reaction, Samantha, to this environmental report that we have like 20 years of Earth left before everything's on fire? You know what I mean? Talking about my reaction to that is fuck everything and just do whatever you want. Yeah, exactly. Eat all the Sour Patch Kids. That's why I'm bringing it up. It's in a way. I mean, it's yeah. Is it going to be horrible when we're all on fire? Yes. But is it sort of a relief mm-hmm. that I don't have to worry about my teeth rotting out of my face? Yeah. And I can just eat all this candy. Where I was just like, oh, I guess saving for retirement and worrying about my cholesterol is no longer an issue because the world's going to be on fire. Yeah. So yeah, find what you love and do it for the next twenty years. <laughs> Oh. That's all the time we have left. You need to try this. Is that the honeycomb thing? No. And they, it kind of broke in half, so you can have that part. Oh, thank you. This is the part of the podcast where we just eat snacks, guys. Hell yeah, Robert Stack would have loved it. <laughs> what do you think Robert Stack's favorite snack was? Do you think Robert Stack ate that much? No, I kind of don't think he did. He seemed like he was worried about his figure. He probably had one green bean. <laughs> before bed i read somewhere that beyonce for lunch she just eats a tomato (laughs) she eats one beefsteak tomato and that's her lunch oh that's what it takes to look like beyonce that is not a way to live your life no 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 thank you no i'm gonna gonna eat chocolate covered honeycomb right now (laughs) no not when we're on borrowed time not when the earth is gonna explode any minute Oh, wow, that's delicious. Oh, my God. I know. Okay, do we have to talk about Unsolved Mysteries, or should we just talk about the apocalypse and snacks? I guess. Is this the sloppiest podcast <laughs> Hopefully this isn't your first one. Oh, my God. Yes. I think it probably is. October has, like, worn me out, man. We will have fewer, fewer activities. Well, the, the snow will come, and there'll be, there'll be nothing but darkness. It will hibernate for a couple months. Yeah. I, I'm actually really looking forward to it now that I have my complete season of Law and Order. It arrived. You're complete ready. series of Law and Order. You're ready. Speaking of Law and Order. More than 100 s- discs, everyone. Are you serious? Is that how many it is? Yeah. Wow. 20 years of television. That's amazing. 20 seasons. 100 discs. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, Travis, so we were, we're doing a uh, Law and Order SVU episode for our Patreon this week, and I was talking to Travis about it last night, and he told me that his favorite Law and Order is Criminal Intent. Mm. Are you as shocked by that as I am? Some people really prefer, I think my brother really prefers that I've one. I've never met anyone until him that prefers Criminal Intent. I think if you like Columbo. I think that's his reason. If you like that kind, it is. It does have a diff. All the Law and Orders, despite being formulaic, they do have sort of their own appeal. And uh, I mean, I like original recipe vest. Lots of people are very invested in Sfu. That's my favorite. 
And yeah, some people, the the oddballs out there, are all about Goran tilting his head sideways until someone confesses. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was. I at first hated Criminal Intent because it's not really like original Recipe Law and Order. And then at some point I was like, oh, it's bad. <laughs> and then I could like, appre- you have to just like appreciate it as its own thing. Sure. Like I was like, oh, it's like so silly. Like now I kind of like it. Okay. Maybe if I looked at it through that lens. Although I'm, I have no interest in watching it. So yeah, that's probably not going to happen. So. I love it when there's a season, I think Vincent D'Onofrio got like kind of sick of doing it. So they, they ended up like splitting up the detectives for a while. And for a while, Jeff Goldblum was there really yes and he always plays the piano (laughs) and then okay like always they find some excuse for jeff goldblum to play the piano and then a couple times he doesn't and i'm like well the mystery can't be solved jeff goldblum (laughs) didn't play the piano (laughs) hilarious so it's yeah it's got its own weird yeah a lot of head tilting and like the weirdest plots so I, I get I get where Travis is coming from. He's just like, a Columbo man. I think that's why. And I also I felt the way about that as I feel when someone says that their favorite CSI is CSI Miami. I don't I know anything about the weird. CSIs. I couldn't get into that. I briefly watched a lot of CSI and CSI Miami. I don't know if it's an unpopular opinion, but is by far the worst. I mean, none of them are good. So I'll say that. But the worst of the kind of bad <laughs> is CSI Miami. I, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I'll get it. I mean, how am I going to spend my last 20 years? Well, you got 20 seasons. I got a lot of Law and Order to watch, and I haven't seen all of it. Mm-hmm. Shockingly, because they wouldn't rerun those early ones. So everybody's like, we do not care. <laughs> oh, you're here for Unsolved Mysteries? If you want to hear more Too Law bad, and Order bitches. <laughs> We're doing a crazy episode of Law and Order for our Patreon. Patreon.com slash perhaps it's you. You can throw us $1 a month and you'll get that. Yes. So that's a little plug for that. Should we jump into this Unsolved Mysteries episode? Sure. You have an unexplained death in Rome, New York to talk about. Again, this is episode four of season three, and this is an unexplained death. Something that hasn't occurred to me yet is why they don't just freaking call it murder. This guy was... (laughs) I mean, sometimes we're not sure how these people die, but most of the time it's straight up murder. Like, why can't we just call it murder? Nothing is unexplained about this, except who did it. I think they're trying to make it a little bit more family friendly, which is ridiculous considering some of the reenactments yeah. on the show, <laughs> which are straight up terrifying. We, yeah, nothing is unexplained about this, but whatever. I don't know. It's so Samantha and I were included in this extremely local publication yes. where they did a little profile of the show, and when I was talking to the editor about it. They were like, well, they did cases other than murders, right? Well, like, it couldn't, they wouldn't talk about the fact that the Unsolved Mysteries was about murder in that little profile. Huh. It was just like UFOs and it was only like the fun stuff because they didn't want to highlight that it's a show about murders. Oh. Even though everyone knows that it's a show about murders? Yeah, that that wasn't like good copy for like selling advertising space, apparently. Okay. Well, I I guess. All right. Side so note. You can Side call them unexplained on deaths instead of murder. So here we go. Stanley Grizek sure. lived with his wife, Esther, at their home in Rome, New York. Their home was attached to a gas station and liquor store that was owned by their family from 1957 to 1976. Stanley was in charge of the liquor store while his brothers, Peter and Bernard, ran the gas station. Rome, New York seemed like a quaint little town at least it's at this like time. the town from gilmore girls i got that vibe yeah we get a little sort of walkthrough of town it looks very cute on the night of november 6 1976 esther was doing her nightly check of the doors and windows when two unidentified <laughs> men do broke into their house do you do that every night before you go to check bed check all my windows yeah never never although <laughs> part of their nightly routine was that he would run her a bath That's which really was cute. the cutest thing um, and then, yes, yeah, she would get up and check all of the doors and windows. Um, she was also deaf. She wore hearing aids that allowed her to hear pretty well. Um, but without her hearing aids, she was completely completely deaf. Um, that'll come up later. So two men broke into the house, both wearing ski masks. They tied her uh, up. Can we talk about these ski masks? <laughs> They're not... If you were watching a movie with a heist and someone puts on a ski mask, it's a solid black ski mask, right? This is a brown ski mask with, like, a weird 
70s orange and yellow top to it it was very weird but they were both wearing the exact same one like that was just what was on clearance at the store and so they're like well we're gonna get these i'm not paying the extra two dollars for seller black ski masks i've never seen anything like this i was like first of all would anyone ski wearing that (laughs) it makes a statement i mean i feel like i'm gonna give this episode a thumbs up for fashion but Maybe I can't in light of the ski mask situation. Yeah, who knows if that's what they were actually wearing, but in the reenactment, strange choice. Strange choice. (laughs) So she noticed that one of the men had a small pearl-handled gun. Stanley, who was upstairs running her bath, ran down and was attacked by the men. The men looked through the house for over two hours before leaving. After the men left, Esther freed herself and found her husband dead. Yeah, she was, like, faking dead on the floor. Yeah, so they tied her up. She was face down on the floor. Her hearing aids fell out. So she couldn't hear what was going on, but she could feel the vibration. So she knew that they were still in the house, and they were ransacking the place. They were tearing cushions off the couches. They opened every drawer. All of her, like, knitting needles and crochet, you know, they scattered that around the house. And then... She said that she laid on the floor until she couldn't feel any more vibrations, and then she figured they were gone. And then she was able to wiggle out of her restraints, jump up, go look for her husband, and unfortunately, he was dead. Yeah, it's really sad. Yeah, it is extremely sad because they interview her daughter, who's got some rock and blue eyeshadow. (laughs) Yes. Um, And she said that they had, like, this rare marriage where they were both super close and they had been for their, you know, they've been together for like 30 years. I mean, if he's running a bath for her every, every night, night. So sweet. Yeah. I also loved that the, re- the reenactments in this, because you like follow her around the house and she's checking all the doors and windows. You get to like see the whole house, which I, you know, I really appreciate. Yeah. Yes. So quality reenactment. Um, the official autopsy report stated that Stanley had died, died from a single stab wound to the heart. The family did not believe this because of the gun that Esther saw and a shell casing that they found by the... Also, who breaks into a house and then just kills someone with a single stab wound to the heart? Yeah, this was weird from the beginning. And here's the other thing. So the police went through the house and then they released the house to the family. And while the two brothers were going through and like cleaning up to like make sure, you know, that Esther didn't have to deal with that, they found a shell casing that had been left behind by the police. Yeah, the police didn't do a very good job of... And so they gingerly picked it up with, like, a napkin, put it in a bag, and were like, here, police, we found this. And they were like, oh, don't tell anyone about this. Yeah. And they were like, okay. Which, he was murdered. Like, I don't understand why the police... I don't know if they were just so invested in people not knowing that they were wrong about the, the cause of death, but... No, like, for some reason, it seems like they were deliberately lying about it, but I don't understand. Why? A stab wound versus a gunshot wound? Yeah. Like, who cares? Like, yeah, it's very It's not weird. like they said he committed suicide or, like, died of a heart attack but or the, something. But the, like, autopsy says that he died of a stab wound, stab wound and it's not heart. true. No. So it's, it's like, a, a conspiracy cover-up for no reason? Don't understand. It's very strange. This whole thing had this very, like conan brothers feel about it yeah so the family is convinced that he was actually shot to death they suspected a cover-up in the case sadly two years later esther passed away without ever seeing her husband's killer apprehended and it wasn't until 1989 when new leads came up in the case a witness came forward saying that he knew who killed stanley the man had asked the witness to break into the house which he said he refused to do the case was soon reactivated, and the new investigators found several witnesses who believed that they had also seen the killers. The uh, na- Their neighbor, Amy Scott, claimed to have seen two men several times before the murder. Two other witnesses also came forward claiming to have seen two men in the days preceding the murder. One of the witnesses, Patsy Peck, told investigators that she had given the police this information back in 1976, but the original investigators did not record her statement. Yeah, it's so strange. What was this local police department up to? It makes very little sense. And the family was kind of like, okay, well, maybe these people didn't come forward. Yeah, it turns out that they did. And this was pretty credible information because it was a small town and right. multiple people had seen... Yeah. Everybody seen, knows everybody and... Yep. Their neighbor, just like the night before, had let her dog out and saw a suspicious vehicle 
And she had told the police because the same vehicle she saw like the next day and it chased her across town. Yeah. And she drove straight to the... She was out and about. She got in her car. She sped off. The peop, the men in the car that she saw the night before chased her down. She drove straight to the police department, told the police. They never made any record of it. It's weird. The whole thing is weird, and I don't really understand why. It's so unsatisfying, but also just strange. Yeah. So, police learned that the Stanley brother, Peter... Um, Stanley's brother, Peter, who owned the liquor store, didn't have a liquor license for um, the bar that one witness worked at. The killers were also allegedly seen at the bar around the time of the murder. Um, So they sort of speculate that this, like, liquor license issue may have contributed. Because Stanley was a very upstanding guy. His children said that if he knew that they were operating without a liquor license, like, he wouldn't have allowed that to continue happening. Um, and there was some sort of falling out between the brothers. Yeah, and no one in the episode, like, straight up accused Peter of being involved in the murder or hiring killers, but that was sort of what, you know, that was sort of unsaid. Yeah. You know? so, it's, it's a really weird one. Yes. They make two composite sketches of the These killers. These are terrible sketches. Oh my god, they're terrible. One was described as tall, dark-haired, white. The other is described as shorter, stockier, white male with sandy hair. Um, the thing is, this this case is hard to get a handle on because it's just strange and there's no clarity. Like, it does seem like... Okay, so one of the brothers at one point was very sick. And, yes, Peter eventually died. And, like, after that, it, they, he, like, called him into the room to talk to him. And there's this dramatic shot of the door closing. And then they never speak again. What the fuck is that? And then you have this police department thing where they're weirdly insisting that they he was stabbed but clearly he was shot why what this is sort of what i think and this seems like it's what other people think as well so um stanley's deceased brother peter ran this bar in town that lost its liquor license the other thing is that in 1982 it was found that there was gambling illegal gambling happening at this bar and also what they call illegal selling of controlled substances so Uh they were selling drugs out of this bar they continued to operate without a liquor license even after it was revoked um people suspect that stanley knew too much and was going to like do you think the other brother is mobbed up a little bit possibly the other thing that i think I suspect, although they never said this in the show, really, was that maybe the po- local police were involved as well. I, th- I think so, for sure, because I and don't really why understand why, but they act so weird, and they're not recording these witness statements, and... They don't seem... Yeah, they got the... They are death, not interested in solving this case. No, it seems like they're not at all. So, that's sort of what I think. The unfortunate thing is that it's unsolved to this day. As a result of the broadcast, investigators received more than 300 tips about the case in January 1991, thanks in part to the viewer tips. Investigators announced that they had a prime suspect in Stanley's murder. They believe that the suspect hired the two men to kill Stanley because he knew too much about the illegal activities occurring at the bar owned by his brother Peter. However, the investigators did not have enough evidence to charge the man with Stanley's murder as several of the key witnesses had either moved away or died and it officially remains unsolved. So there's not really a good conclusion, but it does seem no. like Stanley just knew too much and you know his family agreed that he was a stand-up guy and he was probably going to try and put a stop to what was happening and pissed off the wrong person. I really think the Conan Brothers should make a movie about this. Yeah. Because it has that sort of element of a, a crime that does not go as planned. Sure. That they always do. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, just, it's, just, it's just strange and just so unsatisfying. It's yeah, I agree. It's hard to get a handle on it. And other than that reenactment of the house, I don't know. Yeah, it was not my favorite. They also have this couch that you always see at the Goodwill, and I just think it's so fun. Like, how many of these couches are out there? It says couch. It's a 70s couch. Maybe you have this. Maybe it's in your grandparents' basement that's, like, kind of velvety, but then it has, like, colonial Americana things as a pattern and weird wooden arms. I don't know. They're everywhere. It was pretty cute. This country is littered with this one particular couch. <laughs> Maybe you should find one and put one in your house. 
Yeah. <laughs> maybe I maybe I will. Maybe. Maybe I will, bitches. Okay. All right, are you ready to do a hacker mystery? Yes. This is I like this one. It's a little something different. We haven't had a mystery like this. Robert Stack being amazed by technology is one of my new favorite things. It opens with Robert Stack in like a server room shouting over the yeah buzz of servers he's at a server room for just quote the phone company as if there's just one yep and yeah he has to like scream over the servers because they're so loud because this was a while ago and he I'm, looks so out of place too in his trench coat he's just like uh, technology so yeah this is a, a hacker mystery and uh it's uh, anyway it's gonna take you back <laughs> Oh, and he refers to the server room as these sophisticated works. Yeah, I don't. I don't understand. That's not how people talk. It's just Robert not. Robert Sex is a lot of things in this segment that is just not how people talk. Uh, he also points out that all computers are linked by telephone lines, which he's talking about crimes from 1983. So I was like, is that true? Uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I, I don't know. My dad would any- know wasn't wireless back then yeah so i that was the day of di- that was the days of dial-up right i feel like so, it's even before the days of dial-up but, but maybe i'm wrong maybe dial-up goes back to the, the first? beginning of God. computers my dad will let me know how wrong i am anyway uh this is the case of quote a computer genius run amok kevin paulson <laughs> computer genius run amok (laughs) he was in the north hollywood area and he was described as bright painfully shy and then his reenactment is shown typing very terribly (laughs) at a extremely small 80s computer where you know it's very boxy it's it's actually smaller than you're probably thinking because the screen doesn't show any pictures. It's literally just text. It's like a, the size of a phone today. Yeah. <laughs> like, like if you have an iPhone Plus, you know the big ones. Yeah, that's just, that's like the size that's of the, the screen. The size of the screen because it's only showing glowing green text mm-hmm. on a black screen. This workstation was also not ergonomic at all. It's like practically in his lap. He's, He's looking like, down bah, at it, just bah, hunting and pecking. Bah, bah, like this bah, is bah. the sophisticated computer <laughs> hacker. And uh, Robert Stack says, like most devoted hackers, Kevin adopted a colorful pseudonym. <laughs> what was his pseudonym list? Dark Dante, colorful, colorful indeed. pseudonym. It's a it's a screen name, but yeah. that's that's all right. That's all right, Rollerstack. It's a co- now. Whenever you're putting in your screen name, just think of it as a colorful pseudonym. What if that's what it said? It said colorful pseudonym and then password. <laughs> <laughs> like that was the entry field. Okay. Um, I wrote down things like why is Kevin squinting in every photo? <laughs> Kevin's friend has some great red room glasses one of my favorite things is that kevin got his start in hacking by just guessing the the password to the entire library of what university was it okay csu so it was just like literally the acronym for the college was the password (laughs) yeah that's the thing is this is so early hacking is like not even thought of as a thing this is too early. Like, most people did not have computers in their homes. Most people, like Robert Stack, knew nothing about computers. So, people were not... Things were not secure yet. At all. And, yeah, passwords were literally things like password or... <laughs> One, two, three. Yeah, because, why, you know, why? It, people didn't know... And uh, as Robert Stack says, Kevin continued to cruise the electronic highway, a mastermind he never gave his name or location. <laughs> <laughs> that makes him a mastermind. Oh my! <laughs> it's it's crazy to me that even you know back before these like security, like computer security things, were at the forefront of everyone's mind, that people would think it would be a normal thing to like give your location to strangers. <laughs> People didn't realize like, that. Hi, my, you're typing. You're hunting and pecking on your keyboard. Hi, my name is Kevin. I live at 350 Birch Lane. This is before people knew, didn't really have access to the internet. I don't think the internet was really that much of a thing yet. And uh, yeah, they didn't know the internet was going to be all lies. That's <laughs> true. So I had, they had to be like, what if I, what if I lied about my name? Could you imagine? Okay, so if no. we. 
wait what if we no, got a time machine and we went back in time and we showed robert stack all of the crazy shit on the internet what if we showed him which twitter i think he would cry 4chan, i think and- he would be like <laughs> This isn't the world I want to leave my grandchildren. We like show him be Pepe the Frog memes. Yeah, and tra- <laughs> yeah. We show him a bunch of me. He'd just be like, "What is all this? And what? Wh- why? What? You spend time doing this? <laughs> you could be out on your yacht having a threesome. Why are you?" I was like, "Well, no, Robert Stack. Most of us can't be doing that. So we're making memes. <laughs> That's how it works." <laughs> We can't live the glamorous life of Robert Stack, so we have to, yeah, make compilations of vines and put them on YouTube or whatever. (laughs) Yes. So, Kevin, he was able to access military research being conducted at the University of California, Berkeley, because he guessed that password that I think was was like Berkeley Berkeley or something. (laughs) After going through the network for several weeks, Paulson... So, though supposedly a mastermind, accidentally used his real name. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> On September 22nd, 1983, his computer was confiscated by the Los Angeles DA, and a friend of his was arrested for hacking. However, because Kevin was only 17 at the time, the, the DA decided not to arrest him and gave him a warning that, according to Unsolved Mysteries Wiki, apparently fell on deaf ears. <laughs> So they were basically like, hey, kid, you might not know this is illegal, but uh, knock it off. That's basically what they said in the reenactment, too. The investigators at S. is like, look, this is not cool. Yeah. Your friend is going to jail. The only reason you're not is because you're 17. Knock R- it off. Right, Knock it off. Like, we realize you're just at home, bored, and girls don't like you. And so that's why you're trying to guess passwords and manipulate phone lines. But it is illegal. So <laughs> stop doing it. And he was like, whatever. So Kevin moved out of his parents' house and began hacking into various networks. He also bought a storage locker, which he soon got behind payments on. So there was this, like, almost storage wars moment where they open up the storage locker and they find all this stolen telephone equipment. And the people that run the storage facility are total narcs. And instead of just, like, throwing that stuff away, they call the police. (laughs) And then the police come in and they're like, oh, this has, like numbers of embassies and sensitive information in here and also mastermind kevin put his real name on stuff again kevin come on i also think it's very interesting that like the sophisticated hacking like has to involve having physical items to the extent that you need a storage locker to keep it all in yes because kevin was big and he would get like a fake id and he would just go to different like telephone company facilities and he would like walk in and be like hey i need access to server room blah 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 and they would be like oh that's upstairs and then he would like either hack into the system from there or just like take equipment so that he could hack in later it's so true that if you just show up with a badge and sound authoritative people oh, totally. will let you do anything it's, and it's not only that but totally he knew, true he knew exactly the lingo to say so he right. would walk in like who would think that someone would walk in and say i need to look for your i don't even remember the language they used right. the show, but it was very specific jargon so yeah people were like oh there oh, you go that's upstairs it's uh, behind this door or whatever and then they would give him access and, and he would just walk out hilariously he took had photos of him breaking into very like (laughs) kevin he had like evidence of him like literally like you know breaking into doors and like sitting in places he wasn't supposed to be i know he would go up to how do phones work i mean come on he would go up to like i don't know these trailers that had all kinds of like phone equipment in it and he would literally break in and just steal shit yeah so so when the police are called to the storage locker, they find that some of the information in there is the number for the Soviet embassy. So they thought that maybe he was spying for the Soviet Union. I think he was just dicking around. But I think so. That, but, eh, whatever. So they went to Paulson's f- home, and they found that he had a complete wiretapping operation out of a spare bedroom. Whoops. And that this... <laughs> <What>? <laughs> This equipment allowed him to enter various computer databases and monitor telephone conversations, and that he had been using it to monitor the the phone line of a friend of his and record family conversations. Not cool, Kevin. No, Kevin. And later when they talked to this friend, who's clearly, like, a little bit mad at him, and the friend's like, look, they're making Kevin out to be this dangerous person, and he's not. 
Kevin's the type of person who wants to know how to do things, not actually do them. And I was like, is that a read? That's a read, isn't it? Like you're saying this person is harmless because they're a pussy. Because they're just going to sit at home and think about what they could do. And they don't got the balls to do nothing. And I was like, I really respect that friend who got who got wiretapped. So weird. So, yeah, they found these photos of him, like, breaking in the switch trailers and all that stuff. So the FBI had to get involved. And they found out he'd been going to all these facilities with a fake ID, blah, blah, blah. So he is a, yeah, basically he's, like, super guilty. And he had all this information from, like, the military. I think just to prove that he could. Yeah, it's not I don't different know that he than hackers today. Yeah. Really. This is just, a, like, a kind of an ego trip for him, I think. So, on October 19th, 1989, Kevin Paulson and two fellow hackers were indicted on 19 charges, including computer piracy, hacking, and theft. The two men were arrested, oh, but Kevin had vanished. So, this episode aired October 10th, 1990, and they were looking for Kevin. They were like, what the hell happened to Kevin, everyone? What they don't mention in this Unsolved Mysteries is that when this aired... The 1-800 number for the call center mysteriously stopped working. Oh. (laughs) So it seems like Kevin shut it down. Wow. Which is kind of amazing. That is amazing. Okay, so he was captured. Shortly after the broadcast, the FBI investigators received information that Paulson was still living in the Los Angeles area. Uh, The authorities... contacted several of his acquaintances and they said that he had been seen at Hughes Market. I love the everything about this this, this update. This okay, first of all, these people at the market are like told like, "Hey, the FBI tells them, "Hey, if this guy comes in, give us a call." And they are like so excited. Oh, they are like like the FBI just made them little deputies. They yeah, are like, like, "We have we a mission. This hacker. We're going to get him." <laughs> Why? Also, Kevin in real life is whatever a nerd he's a nerd he's the sort of guy you would expect to be this computer hacker kevin in the reenactment is suddenly blonde <laughs> and wearing a leather jacket and very like very tall a hundred times cooler and i was like is that's kevin no it's not what why did you we pick see pictures of real kevin who's constantly squinting very and scrawny he does not look threatening at all i'm pretty sure he wasn't threatening in any way no no he's just a guy that is good at computers and then yes yeah, suddenly we get this like boy band member yeah what how did that happen so <laughs> the grocery store workers takedown of kevin is the best reenactment we've gotten in the season yet yeah so like three weeks after being told this by the fbi kevin eventually comes to the store oh they were ever vigilant too so that throughout that whole three weeks you know every person is that him is that him (laughs) we gotta catch that hacker the fbi is counting on us and so when he eventually does come in they call the fbi but he leaves and for some reason the fbi is like i bet he's gonna come back to this market tonight why <laughs> here he got his groceries you forgot the sugar i don't yeah but he did so he comes back this fbi guy is like waiting in the parking lot and the clerks are so excited that they tackle him <laughs> and then restrain him and bring him back to like a storeroom is that fucking legal i don't know it's the, they essentially kidnap him. The manager of this grocery store is so proud of this too. He could not keep the smile off his face as Unsolved Mysteries is interviewing him. It's just it's yeah, amazing. It's very similar to the reenactment where that guy was stealing the Polish sausage and the, yes. the clerks chase him with brooms. It's like you do not you're getting paid minimum wage. You do not need to be this vigilant <laughs> in your job that you're you don't need to be a hero. Tackling hackers. <laughs> And then putting them in storerooms until the FBI can, like, I swear that's not legal. I don't, I don't think it is. The legal expert that I am that that is also going, how do is computers work? Is that a citizen's work? arrest? I, I thought that wasn't a real thing. Is it not? Is that only in movies? I think that's just in movies. I don't even know. I don't anyway, know. Kevin's caught. Did I mention the I'm an expert? The world is a safer place. And nothing. Okay. So, Kevin is caught. He pleaded guilty to conspiracy, fraud, and intercepting wire transmissions. He was sentenced to 54 months in prison. 
which at the time was the longest sentence for hacking that had happened in the United States. I found out a little bit more about Kevin that's highly amusing. So when he was on the run for that period of time before Unsolved Mysteries aired, like after he's arrested, but before his segment is on Unsolved Mysteries, he was living in Los Angeles. And he was using his time with two friends to hack phone lines to the to radio stations to ensure they would be the lucky caller <laughs> to win contests. Dangerous hackers. Yeah, very dangerous. And so between the two of them, they won two Porsches, $20,000, $20, and two Hawaiian vacations. What radio station is giving away Porsches? <laughs> I think that used to be more of a thing back when radio was like you know a more powerful force so um so this also is like cemented him as this great hacker the fact that he was able to (laughs) win all these contests and also that the unsolved mysteries phone line went dead so um upon being released from prison i think he served about five years but then part of his release was that he couldn't use a computer for another three wow which and that was the first time that like computer usage was in like included in a release of a criminal crazy but think how hard that would be even if you're not a hacker so i've been re-listening to one of my favorite podcasts reply all which is a gimlet show about lots of people i'm sure you've listened um about the internet and um, one of their episodes, they profile a hacker who went to jail, and part of his release was he couldn't use the internet. And if you, th- like, I'm sure it was hard for Kevin. Could you imagine, like, today being not, like, he can't use Netflix? Right. So, so he, like, he says, like, in the episode, he said that if he wants to watch Netflix, he'll have his wife come and turn Netflix on and just leave it to, like, whatever he wants, and he'll just let it play. Because he literally can't touch the smart TV, because that's the internet. Okay, and what that guy needs to do is he needs to go to Goodwill. He needs to get a TV with a built-in VCR (laughs) and get a stack of VHS tapes. You gotta go back to the analog world. The other crazy thing about that um, episode and that man was that he is a programmer by trade. So he has a job programming and he'd have... So he has to use a computer that's completely disconnected from the internet and then print on paper, like code, and mail it to his boss... (laughs) What? They let him do that? Apparently. Wow. Crazy. So Kevin has gone on to sort of reinvent himself as a journalist. Oh. He's actually won tons of awards. He is a contributing editor for the Daily Beast. He's He is a person that writes for Wired all the time. He also helped create this... I don't entirely understand how this works, but he created software to help myspace search for sex offenders oh so it identified hundreds of sex offenders and actually led to an arrest of an active pedophile that was using myspace to groom or contact children wow yeah so that's kind of cool he's he's gone on to you know have a non-crime life (laughs) he's not Um, still breaking into phone companies no no he's like good for kevin good an important journalist now and i wonder what happened to those porsches though hmm, i bet i don't know do you Maybe think his friends still driving them <laughs> do you think he had to give them back because <laughs> they didn't they did not win fair and square and he recently wrote a book if anybody's interested called kingpin how one hacker took over the billion dollar cybercrime underground which i don't believe is about him but he just wrote a book about a different hacker i think cool anyway that's about kevin that that's an interesting, interesting case. little case yeah um I don't know. I don't know. I was like five years. That seems harsh. It does seem harsh. For listening to some people's phone conversations, which the government is doing right now. Hello. Yeah, come on. NSA, enjoy our podcast. Thank you. (laughs) Rate us on iTunes. Yeah. (laughs) I want the NSA to write us on iTunes. We demand five stars, NSA. (laughs) Thanks. Okay, our last mystery in this episode is a lost love, and it's a really good one. And it kind of made me weepy. I thought this was delightful. Okay, so this is the story of La Harriet and her friend Sharita. So La Harriet, now known as Nikki Wade Crowder, is searching for Sharita Harding, whom she became close friends with in the Children's Hospital in Los Angeles in 1969. 
That year, seven-year-old Nikki was admitted to the hospital to have surgery to remove several large tumors in her throat. These tumors were benign, um, non-life-threatening, although they were rather painful, and she had to spend quite a bit of time in the hospital. Sure. At first, Nikki... Which is so scary for a kid. Oh my gosh, yeah, can you imagine? Ugh. At first, Nikki was scared to be away from her parents, but then she met eight-year-old Sharita, who was diagnosed with a rare form of cancer and scheduled to undergo surgery. The two started talking and soon became close friends. They had fun and spent all of their time together at the hospital awaiting their surgeries. I don't know. This must be actually what they did, but this was both adorable and also baffling. At one point, they're racing down the hallway in wheelchairs. All like, like, where are the adults at this hospital? All 80s shows that involve kids in hospitals involve wheelchair races. And that's I don't true. know. That's a good point. I don't know if that's. Was that. I'm, I it must know. have happened at least once. They interviewed Nikki, and she said that this was a time where there were no adults around. They could just be in their own little world, playing all these games. She said that they played jokes on the nurses. I'm totally, I'm totally eating some Australian candy while Samantha talks about Oh, this. I was eating Sour Patch Kids the entire time you were talking about yours and trying very hard <laughs> not to like suck on them in the microphone. Actually, I'm going to take a, a quick second to open a polar water. <laughs> This is Yeti mischief. Is this your favorite part of the podcast where we eat into the microphone and open cans of polar water? NSA is like, you no longer God, get five Yeti stars. Yeti mischief is so good. I love Yeti mischief. It's delicious. Okay. Polar water. Sponsor us Come for Christ's sakes. We don't have enough suppliers of polar water in Minnesota. Mm-mm. We need you to send us some flavors. Okay. At the time of Shruta's operation, she was forced to undergo a series of painful pre-surgical treatments. Nikki felt bad for Sharita as she seemed to be in a lot of pain, but she noticed that Sharita was also very tough and was able to get through the treatments. One night, Sharita went in for her operation. When Nikki asked her mother about Sharita's operation, she learned that Sharita's surgery would prevent her from having children when she grew up. So at one point in the reenactment, they roll Sharita into the room, and Sharita's in a lot of pain, and she's crying, and all the adults go out into the hallway to talk, and Nikki jumps down from her bed and goes and holds Sharita's hand and says, it's okay, like, if you grow up and you can't have a baby, I'll have a baby, and we can share it. It was so... And I'll even name it after you. Oh my god, it was the cutest thing I've ever seen. These actresses in the reenactment. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. Why weren't they in everything? These children are great. Yeah, they were excellent. And I think I'm going to cry right now. <laughs> it's just the sweetest thing. And, oh, those childhood friendships. You could, like, form bonds, like, so quickly. And, like, really, like, these kids really, like, loved each other. They and did. And they were both going through this thing that was traumatic and painful. And Sharita especially was in a lot of pain. These treatments she had to get every single day. These, like, injections in her back that were very painful. And Nikki was there for her and held her hand and then said, we can both be the baby's mother. I'll grow up and have a baby and you can share it. It was so cute. So five, <laughs> <laughs> so five weeks after Sharita and Nikki first met, the two had to say goodbye. Nikki's operation was successful, so she went home, but Sharita had to remain in the hospital for further mm. treatments. Before leaving, the two took pictures of each other. They both agreed to continue contact through the phone. However, two months later, Nikki's family moved to New Mexico and the two friends lost touch. This is so sad. Like, this is... I had friends in school that, like, moved away and, like, you didn't remember their phone numbers or whatever, and then you never saw them again. Yeah. Like, that's basically what happened to these two. They just, you Or know, they, like, move, away. and then they move again, and you wouldn't have their, like, new phone number. Yep. And, and then, what are you going to do? Yeah. This They're just gone. Before the internet, so it's not like you were Facebook friends or whatever. If you're not Kevin Paulson and you can't <laughs> hack into some system to tell you what their new phone number is, you don't know. You're out of luck. In 1975, Nikki and her family returned to Los Angeles. She called every Harding in the phone book, but was unable to locate Sharita. In 1983, Nikki remarried and took the last name Crowder. In 1987, she gave birth to her daughter, whom she wants to name Sharita, or wants to christen Sharita through her baptism. So a lot of people have baptismal names when you're you're christened, then you get like a biblical name or something like that. Um... She wants to christen her daughter, Sharita, because of the promise that she made to her friend, Sharita. It's so sweet. Yeah, I know. It's super, super sweet. So the result of this case is that it's solved. Sharita 
Um, now named Sherita Harding Buckner, was discovered living in Oklahoma. She and Nikki were reunited at Nikki's home just 10 days after the original broadcast. On October 20th, 1990, Sherita stood godmother to Nikki's daughter at her baptism, where she was baptized Sherita Kennedy Crowder. Sherita and Nikki continue to be friends to this day. Thank you, Unsolved Mysteries. The reunion of these two was so sweet and sharita was so touched that nikki never forgot about her and actually remembered her promise and she was so honored to be sure uh nikki's daughter's godmother it was adorable i was watching this like man i really hope this woman is okay with her medical information being broadcast on unsolved <laughs> mysteries because it's like about her fertility and stuff but she seemed fine with it she so seemed fine with it she was very touched that yeah she was looking for her and she actually took this promise seriously and i think it's also super amazing that she's even alive because she had this really rare form of childhood cancer, and it very well could have turned out that she had passed away. And that was the reason she was having trouble contacting her? Yeah, that would have been a brutal, sad ending, and I'm glad that they got to be friends and hang out. Yeah, she was alive, well, living in Oklahoma. Her husband um, was at the baptism, it looked like, and the two remained friends, according to the update, so... And that daughter is, like... So cute. So cute. Oh my goodness. So cute. So, if you have to share a kid, I mean, it's a good one. Hey, Curtis, cool it. Everyone, Curtis is, like, addicted to barking lately. <laughs> Why is my dog getting worse? Someone help me. He barks at everything. Curtis, he's barking at our fans. He wants his own podcast. Yeah, he wants his own po- He wants the bark cast. <laughs> It'll be, like, the purr cast, except... It's actually just a dog barking. It's literally just Curtis barking every time I come downstairs. We'll just record that. All right. Watch like, his podcast be more successful than ours. Oh, I'm sure. Like climbs the charts. I like, pass sure. a cereal. <laughs> the bark cast number one. Uh, I feel like it would be pretty easy to make a podcast more successful than ours. But uh, thanks true. for tuning in, five listeners. We love should, you all. Should we rate this episode? Okay. Did we have an MVM by the way before we forget oh, oh, it again? Oh. There was an FBI guy in my hacker case. Was that John Broch? I don't know. Hacker investigator. Yeah, that must have been. That's what I wrote. Did he have a mustache that looked like this? Yes, that was him. It's very flat on the bottom. I called it the tried and true. (laughs) It's just a solid, thick mustache. That's a classic. It's a classic. Yeah, I don't... It's not, like, exciting. It's not fun in any way. You know, but it's a staple. It's a staple mustache. Yeah. It looks good on him. Sure. Well, and he was like a, a investigator guy. Was he an investigator for the phone company? I don't really know. It didn't really seem like he was in law enforcement, but he was an investigator. I don't I didn't know what really his deal was. get it, actually, now that you bring that up. I don't know. That's why I wrote John, hacker investigator, MVM. Which, I'm, if he's still alive today, I'm assuming he's going to put that... Like at the end of his name, like people do, like like PhDs. John Brock. What if he doesn't have a mustache? Do you think he's still have oh, a mustache? Oh, he definitely. Yeah. Okay. You don't just go mustacheless oh. after having something like that. Okay. <laughs> I feel better. Comma envia. Okay, so mysteriousness. I don't know that it was that mysterious. Your first one is very mysterious. Oh, I guess who killed him? Yeah. It's like half very mysterious and then half not mysterious at all. What sure. is that? Sideways? Yeah. Okay. Sure. Sideways. Reenactments? Um, reenactments. I actually thought the reenactments were pretty darn good. I really liked the takedown, the grocery store takedown. Yes. <laughs> I really, yeah. As I already said, I really liked seeing that whole house. The um, children the reenactments children were so cute. so sweet. So this gives a thumbs up yeah. on reenactments. Thumbs way up. Fashion? I'm going, I think I'm going to go with thumbs up, too. The kids, yes. kids' fashion in the first one, super good. You just get to see some real 80s, 90s looks. I don't know. The friend that is bashing on Kevin a little bit is wearing these really great red wireframe glasses mm-hmm. that I'm super into. Sure. Um, thumbs up, I think. Yeah, I'm going to thumbs up on that one, too. Robert Stack? fine not really in it that much i guess yeah he was in the other than the screaming room, over a server I, i'll give him a thumbs up oh, for that and at the beginning of this episode he was like at a haunted house oh yeah that was weird very very weird okay let's give him a thumbs up because kind of halloweeny actually when do you get to see someone scream over a server and <laughs> act like that's totally normal <laughs> oh i'm just having a casual conversation <laughs> 
Yeah, it's something. Yeah, I like it's it. It's a something. I like it. So that's it. So wait, I wait, wait. We gotta rate it. Yeah, five Robert Stacks. What would you give? I give a three. One? I'm a three too. I liked the hacker mystery and I liked the lost love. Yeah, I did not like your mine, mystery is too long. It was too long and, and not satisfying. No. But the other two are good. I feel like overall it might be a little forgettable. We get a very unnecessary update of one of the sweetheart swindlers. Not yeah. even the one we just talked about. I don't know why they bother updating us on those. Oh, we already we already know. It's <laughs> a mysteries. We already know. We don't need it again. Ugh. So that is a little bit of a downer. And yeah, I would say three. It's like fine, but am I going to make people i'm gonna drag people into my living room and make them watch the hacker case no no i don't think mm-hmm. so am i gonna drag them and make them watch me eat these carmelo koalas yeah probably i'm gonna open these strawberry white chocolate licorices oh my god while you start your reenactment not your, your yeah recommendation i'm going also to reenact i'm gonna reenact kevin breaking into a like switch trailer and then having his photo taken to prove he did it um there's no notch on this to help me open it oh here's some scissors oh thanks (laughs) samantha's gotta have that licorice folks um okay so in the pursuit of me living my full halloween life this week i went and i saw psycho on the big screen which was really fun um Samantha and I did that last year at a place where a guy came out and played the organ first, so that was kind of preferable. That was great. That was amazing. But this time, as I'm, like, walking into the theater, uh, which is this cute, like, remodeled old theater. It has, like, a real bar. It's got an 80s arcade in the basement. It was super cute. But as I'm, like, walking in and I turn to see someone walking up the stairs to the balcony area was a man in a house dress and a gray wig holding a knife slowly walking up the stairs was this a cosplay yeah there was mama bates cosplay oh at the psycho screening amazing which really really made my life also maybe my real recommendation is to go to movies by yourself oh highly recommend because i showed up last minute and got a great seat because i only needed one (laughs) i love going to movies by myself the theaters are making it a little more challenging now that they have like those fancy seats it's all at all these theaters it's really hard to see a movie because first of all they always sell out yeah so you have to like buy your ticket ahead of time you can't just be like what am i doing tonight going to see a movie and then they situate those chairs in a way that is for people to go to movies together Oh. So you could accidentally get one of the seats that are like combined with another person. Yeah, I guess I don't go to these fancy theaters, but I do know what you're talking about. Yes. But I yeah, I love going to movies by myself. Because I got to show up last minute and still got a great seat while everybody else was like, oh no, where are we going to sit, right? And uh, you're not supposed to talk during the movie anyway, so you really don't need to go with anyone. No. And now that you're going to be looking at your cell phone all the time anyway, it's not really that awkward to sit there until the movie starts. Which is what you're thinking right now. Liz, I'm just going to be sitting there feeling like a dope. No, you're going to be looking at your phone. It doesn't matter. It's fine. <laughs> this is, that's my rant. Uh, and then Friday, I went to William Castle Fest, which was showing uh, House on Haunted Hill and Homicidal. And they did... So William Castle was like a low-rent Alfred Hitchcock. And he was known for his gimmicks in his movies and many of his movies were just ripoffs of hitchcock movies um so for house on haunted hill they had someone in the theater faint of fright and then a doctor come out to like help her she was like oh my (laughs) nerves right and then i guess when he showed this movie there's a part with like a skeleton he would like run around with this glow-in-the-dark skeleton on like a stick like hanging out over people and it had a name i can't remember but they did that i had Amazing. to i had to sign a waiver in case i died of fright <laughs> that i wouldn't sue the theater and then the homicidal which i had never seen before and really really enjoyed if you like psycho you should check it out because it's just a ripoff of psycho but it was surprisingly enjoyable and um the gimmick for that is that right before the climax there's a fright clock and literally a clock with like 45 seconds shows up and it's like if you're too frightened 
to see the end of the movie. You can leave now and get your money back. So they gave everyone a little certificate that's like, I'm a coward. And if you <laughs> were too scared to see the end, you could supposedly turn that in and get your money back. But you had to go sit in Coward's Corner and everybody would walk past you as they left. So they had a little Coward's Corner set up amazing it was so amazing i really really did enjoy homicidal and as i was watching it not to give so it's basically a ripoff of psycho with a bit of whatever happened to baby jane thrown in which is oh that's such a good movie but um not to give too much away but as i was watching that i was like this is going to a problematic place isn't oh no it? and it wasn't oh oh hello 1961 <laughs> i'm surprised i was like I think the end of this is going to be brutal. I don't know what's going to happen. And then I was like, oh, that's actually fine. Huh. Wow. That never happened. Never. That wouldn't even happen now. (laughs) So I thought it was actually handled really well. Weird. That is weird. I do recommend checking that out. It was really fun. So yeah, my recommendation is uh, go to movies by yourself. It's totally fine. Go to concerts by yourself. Hell yeah. Also great. You can stand whenever you want. You can leave whenever you want. Yeah. If you're in Minnesota, people are so nice, they will save your spot when you go to the bathroom. That's the only complication of going to a concert by yourself. <laughs> Minnesota's got you covered. Uh, I think that's it for me. Nice. Have I babbled enough? Never. It's our podcast. Ever. You can babble as long as you want. Oh, yeah. So my recommendation isn't, but should be, uh, these strawberry <laughs> white chocolate... Wait, I want one. These are eh, so good. Eh, no, before eh, I pass eh. it to you, I'm going to take another one. Uh, these are Daryl Lee strawberry white chocolate. It's like Australian licorice, but inside is a little stick of white chocolate. What? It's delicious. This is all I've wanted. Yeah. Liz is taking a bite. Oh my Isn't God. it good? Yeah. We can't let Mac know about these. He'll eat them all. <laughs> They're so good. Uh, but my recommendation actually is... Uh, this is a local organization in Minnesota. Liz thought I should recommend this because I didn't have one today, and I think it was a great idea. I want to give credit to Liz for making me think of this. <laughs> I said, this is what you should do. The reason that we thought of it is because our book club is doing a book drive today for this organization. It's called the Women's Prison Book Project, and they're local to Minnesota, but I think they send their books to prisons across the U.S. So the organization um, was started in 1994, And it has provided women and transgender persons in prison with free reading materials covering a wide range of topics from law and education to fiction, politics, history, women's health. Um, They're an all-volunteer grassroots organization that seeks to build connections with those behind bars and to educate those of us on the outside about the realities of prison and the justice system. My favorite part about their website is that they always put quotation marks around the justice system. <laughs> around justice in the justice system. It's very true, folks. Uh, there's a bunch of information on their website. You can check it out. Um, I guess my recommendation is this organization in general, but also if you're looking for someone to support, um, they take donations of books and send them to people behind bars that maybe don't have. They highlight a lot of reasons why women and transgender people in particular really have this need for books. Um, things like women who are incarcerated are almost always incarcerated for nonviolent crimes, such as prostitution, um, drug li- shop- shoplifting, perhaps, shoplifting because you can't feed your family, things like that. And they're often the main caregivers for children. Um, and so in for those reasons, they're in need of books about families, books about um, various things. They have lists on their website of books that they are get a lot of requests for, including books in Spanish, books about... Um, the law, uh, just fiction in general, mysteries, things like that. Um, they prefer soft cover books because most prisons don't accept or allow their prisoners to have hardcover or spiral bound books. Um, they have an Amazon wish list. You can just buy something off Amazon, send it to them. I'm not sure if they're on the Amazon like smile thing, but they probably are if you want, um, oh, if you yeah, do yeah, like yeah. the Amazon donates. Yeah. A percent, you know, to them. I just think it's a really cool organization. We're doing a book drive today at our book club where we're having people bring in books to donate. I picked out a book from their wish list, which was Wicca for the Solitary Practitioner. Practitioner. Yeah. Yeah. Um, There's lots of people in prison that there's really no need for them to be in prison. Oh, for sure. And also, that the, the lack of freedom is probably more than punishment enough, so. Right. There's, yeah. And things Give like, me some books. I mean, and high on our 
prison systems priority list is not providing reading materials to prisoners. So organizations like these, I think, are just really important. And the fact that they're serving underserved prisons and underserved people in prisons, I think, is really important. And it's just one of those small organizations that you might not hear about, but they're doing really good things. If you're local to Minnesota, I think they partner with Bone Shaker. Yes. If you want to drop off books to donate and you're in the area, you can drop them off there. You can also, if you're just out shopping for books, Bone Shaker is a cool bookstore. While you're in there, you can just buy another book and say, I'm donating this to the Women's Prison Book book Project. Yeah, absolutely. Bone Shaker is um, all-volunteer-run, nonprofit bookstore. Mm Mm-hmm. It's pretty cool. And, uh, yeah. So thanks to them for helping with this. And I do think it's a cool organization. And there, yeah, there is no justice. (laughs) Is that where we should end every episode? You can't, you cannot disagree with me on an episode about unsolved mysteries. If the system really worked, these mysteries would not be unsolved. (laughs) Exactly. (sighs) All right, we're going to eat some candy. Yeah, we got candy to eat. Let's quick plug our shit. Uh, Okay. So follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Perhaps it's you. You can email us if you have a paranormal tale that you would like to share. It is perhaps it's you cheat. Oh my God. Perhaps it's you podcast at gmail.com. There's also a form on our website, which is perhaps it's you.com. Throw us some money on Patreon and you can hear us talk about unsolved mysteries. No. No, you can't. I can't talk either. What is wrong with us? We just want candy. I know. Candy. You didn't hear us talk about other things. That aren't Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, adjacent topics. And you get that if you give $1 a month or more. We'll also send you a postcard. And at the moment, you get some stickers. Yep. And uh, you should definitely rate us on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and give us five stars. Because we need the ego boost to keep going. And we haven't gotten a review in a little while. And I'm sad. Oh, I also wanted to mention, we talked about a couple episodes ago, how we are going to be at the True Crime Podcast Festival in Chicago next yes. July. Yes. Tickets are available now, and you can also go onto their website and fill out a survey that will help them understand how many people are going to come and which podcasters they're there to see. So say, we definitely want you to have Liz and Samantha speak. They're the best. <laughs> I don't know Put- if there is a, like a freeform field, but if there is, definitely say something nice about us. Um, and you can put more than one. So you can say, these are the podcasters that I'm going to see. And then they'll kind of know, you know, what you're expecting and how many people are going to sh- come. They also kind of want to know, like, how many listeners um, are going to go, like, each podcast is bringing in. Help, so, that'll help them out a lot. Let, if- let them know that we have five listeners. And also say, I wish you would uninvite Sword and Scale. Yeah. Uh, that hasn't <laughs> happened yet. <but laughs> that's our, Fingers crossed. That's the only podcast I'm willing to talk about talk shit about uh-huh yeah uh is that it i think so <laughs> is this the worst one yet maybe maybe sorry right. about it bye solve some mysteries bitches